Friends, please go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. As you know, this is our fourth week in this one chapter within this book. And we have considered some interesting topics, to say the least. We have talked about husbands and wives not denying their conjugal rights to each other. We've mentioned the grief of widowhood, the difficulty of separation and divorce. Last week, we talked about the gift of singleness, which doesn't always feel like a gift to us, but one that which God chooses to use for his glory in our lives. Last week's text was from verses 25 to 40, which comes after our text here today. But we needed to switch the order of those things because of my need to go to Risen Hope in order to care for my dad and his church family. Redeemer Fellowship, thank you for all of the text this week. Thank you for praying for the Shores and for my dad as he begins this very difficult journey with stage four cancer. We covet your prayers very much. Uh, But listen, I'm actually glad that we needed to switch the order of these two passages. It actually works out very well because today's text is really the very center text to what Paul has been saying. Verses 17 to 24 really are the, the structural center of what Paul has been communicating. And these verses serve as a as a helpful summary for us today of what we've covered over the last three weeks. And so let's begin now by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. Paul says this. He says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. What is your status in life? What what is your standing in society? What is your social place in this world? When when we are kids, our, our social standing can be determined by something as small as who goes to which school or who is most athletic or who has the most friends or whose dad can beat up the other kid's dads. I remember when I was a kid, there was a lot of status put on what kind of gaming station you had at home. Did you have a Nintendo or did you have a Sega Genesis? And what games did you have for those, for those gaming systems and how good were you at those games? My family was pretty poor and so we did not have any gaming station and so my social status among my friends was fairly low. 
I also remember getting older and, and realizing that the criteria for social standing begins to change. Who has the nicest car? Who has the prettiest girlfriend? Who was going to the best college? Who was part of the, the most popular clique or the best fraternity? Let's be honest. Things really never change for us, do they? Even as adults, there are many things in our lives that determine our social standing. Who has the biggest house? Who has the best job? Who has the most followers? All of those things are are so petty, but they regularly determine how we view each other, don't they? They shouldn't, but they do. And sometimes our social standing fits into a bigger cultural picture, even a caste system of sorts. Oftentimes a society or a culture seeks to intentionally assign a value to certain types of people. For many, many years in, in India, the caste system stated that those who were part of the untouchable group were of the lowest state. In the Third Reich, it was the Jewish people who were of the lowest state. And indeed, it was the men and women of African descent during the age of slavery and beyond here in America who were of the lowest state. Every society has a social standing. Every society puts certain people into a certain place in society. And if we in the church are not careful, we can begin to determine the value of a person based on those social standings. That's certainly the way that it was in the city and in the church of Corinth. Power and position in society were what everyone wanted. In the city of Corinth, your social standing was determined by how philosophical or how rich or how religious or how powerful you might be. If you had a position of of power and prestige, you fought to keep that position. If you did not have a position of power and prestige, you would fight to get out of your current status in order to attain what you wanted. But friends, what Paul is sharing with us today is something altogether different. These verses are the logical center of all that he has been saying in this chapter. And they begin to show us why and how Paul can speak to the married and to the single and to the widowed and to the divorced in the ways that he does. He can say all that he says here, even very difficult things Because for Paul, our greatest identity is not in our social standing, but in Jesus Christ. For Paul, and it is his desire for the entire church, his desire is that we would be different from the world around us, that we would not fight over position and power, but that we would use whatever situation, whatever position, whatever status we have in this world, that we would use it all for the glory of God. Paul is suggesting for us here that the church of Jesus Christ should not cultivate a culture of social statuses like the world does all around us, because within the church, our greatest identity is not in any any of those things, but rather who we are in Jesus. And in Jesus, Paul says, we can honor and glorify God no matter where we find ourselves. The main idea for our message this morning is this, the gospel determines your status in life, not your standing in the society around you. The gospel determines your status in life. And we have three points to look at. Point number one, a gospel purchase. Point number two, a gospel culture. 
And point number three, a gospel command. Let's begin with the first. Point number one, a gospel purchase. In this chapter, Paul has spoken to so many different situations in life. Married or single, widowed or divorced. And, and today he's only going to add to these different statuses. But listen, his, his goal, his desire, his pastoral heart towards the Corinthians and towards us this morning is to pull us out of these external identification markers and to pull us together towards a brighter and more hopeful view of the gospel in our lives. And I'm very excited to start with this point. Because we need to see what Paul is doing here. Look, look at verse 17. He says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. The, the emphasis of that verse and the following text is clearly on what God has done for us. We see the word call or to be called used eight times in these eight short verses. And that speaks of God's activity towards each one of us as Christians. And then he concludes, so he begins in verse 17 with that sense. And then verse 24, he concludes with these words. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Church, Paul has something glorious to say to you this morning. And Paul says up in verse 17 that this is his rule in all the churches, which means that Paul wants these glorious truths to apply to all of us. In other words, this is not just a Corinthian problem. Paul knows that we are all tempted to care too much about our social standing in our lives and in this world. We are all tempted to compare ourselves to others and to allow our joy and our strength in life to be determined by our standing before other people and what they think of us. Paul knows that we can all tend to do this. And so he clearly communicates extraordinary truths. And the truth is that wherever we are in life, whether this is a, a welcome season of life for you or an unwelcome season of life, friend, whether you are prospering or whether you are enduring through suffering and trial, whether you are happy right now or whether you are praying daily to be delivered from this season, wherever you are, Paul wants you to know that God is with you in that place. God is with you in that place. It might feel lonely. It might feel extremely painful. It might be the opposite of what you hoped for your life by this point. But if you are a Christian sister or brother in the Lord, if you are a Christian this morning, God is with you wherever you are. He is by your side. He has called you to himself. And his calling in your life is the greatest identity marker for your life. Not your social standing. Not your difficult circumstances. Look, look at verse 24. You were bought with a price. Christian, you were bought with a price. You are owned by the living God. Listen to me this morning. These are some of the, the greatest things you're going to hear this entire summer. If you are a Christian, you are bought. You have been owned by God, your loving Father. Uh, I thought about this week and it just blew me away. I spent a lot of time reflecting on this. I, I, I haven't done an exhaustive study in God's word 
but I think it's accurate to say that there is nothing else in the world that the Bible says that God has ever bought for himself. There's nothing in this world that God has purchased for himself. How marvelous of a thought is that? Listen, the God who speaks galaxies into existence with a word, the the God who could have just replaced you with a better version of you, and with an unbroken version of you, an untainted version of you, a sinless version of you. He could have just started over with you, but he didn't. He took the broken form of you. He did not recreate you suddenly. He bought you back to himself. At what a cost did he do that? Even at the cost of his own son. And he's done it for nothing else and for no one else in the world but for his chosen people within the church. What a glorious thing. First Peter chapter 1, Christian, you were ransomed. You, you were purchased. You were bought from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spots. You were bought with a price. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. Friends, think about what it is to purchase something. When we buy things, It's usually something that we want or that we desire. Sure, we all have to buy the mundane necessities of life, things like food and gas, and that's costing us a fortune these days. We all have to buy those things, but even those things are because of things that we want. We want nourishment. We want to be able to travel from place to place. But when it comes to many other things, we save and we pay top dollar for the things that we want. Maybe it's that new house. Maybe it's those concert tickets. Maybe it's a vacation. We purchase the things that we want. Well, friends, we know that God did not purchase us out of necessity because our God has no need within himself. He is completely happy within himself. There's nothing outside of him that he needs. He doesn't need to buy relationships. He already has relationships within himself. He doesn't need to buy glory for himself. He already has all the glory. So then why did he purchase us? Because he loves us, because he delights in us, because he wants to be near to us, because he wants to spend eternity with us. This is the the joy and the happiness of the gospel for our hearts this morning, that while we were still his enemies, God said, I want to be with those people. I want to be near to them. I want to spend my time with them. And so I'm going to purchase them for myself. How much is it going to cost? Oh, it's going to cost the life and the blood of my only begotten son? Well, that's a steep cost. There is no higher cost. Is it worth it? Absolutely, he says. And he sends his son. Christian, this is what Paul is reminding us of here today. This is where Paul wants us to remain. We see that phrase, remain with God, three times in this text. In in a culture that we live in that, that cares more about your relational status than the state of your soul. In, in, a, in a culture that values people based on what they have or do not have. In a culture that leads us to, to constantly compare ourselves to each other. Oh, oh she's prettier than I am. Oh, he's more gifted than I am. Oh, she's funnier than I am. 
Oh, they have better friends than we do. Oh, they're more successful than we are. Oh, that person deals with their grief better than I have. Oh, their marriage seems so much happier than ours. In a world that ends up, holds up endless criteria for what it means to be successful and happy and none of those things fully attainable and therefore all of them leading to disappointment after disappointment. In a culture like this, what do we need? We need to remain with God. We need to sit in the truth that he has bought us and that he loves us and that he will never leave us nor forsake us. This is what Paul has been reminding us of throughout this letter and in a particular way here this morning. Redeemer Fellowship, let's not play the social status game of Corinth. Amen? Let, let us, Redeemer Fellowship, remain with our God. Let us remain with God and live out the gloriously happy truth that he has bought us for himself. Verse 24 says, do not become bondservants of men, meaning do not be enslaved to the empty ideas and ideologies of this world. Set your heart on who you are in Jesus and friend, it will free you, it will deliver you to a much happier way of life. And that leads us to our second point, point number two, a gospel culture. Paul believes strongly that the fact that we are called by God, the fact that we have been purchased by God, Paul believes that that should change everything about the way that we view ourselves and each other around us. And we see Paul highlight this by giving us two additional categories to consider. So Paul, Paul now adds to the list of social statuses, whether you are married or single, widowed or divorced. Paul now adds to the list by talking about whether you are religious or unreligious or whether you are in bondage to other people or free. Look first at verse 18. He says, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. What in the world is Paul talking about here? Well, what we know is that circumcision was a really big deal in the first century. The, the Jewish people from the point of Abraham on had followed the command of God to be circumcised. It was the identification marker for the nation of Israel. In many ways, circumcision was the epitome of the Jewish religious practice. It was the visible identification marker that God gave to Abraham and to all his people from all the way back in the book of Genesis. Circumcision was a really big deal. And so, to not prioritize circumcision was a hard thing for those who were previously circumcised. It was hard, it was difficult to accept that being a Christian did not require this external marker any longer, but rather only faith in Jesus Christ made you a Christian. That was hard to understand, that was hard to accept, and so it was probably very, very likely that as Gentiles, non-Jews, began to come to faith in Jesus Christ, it was very likely that they felt a pressure from the Jewish Christians in the church to also be circumcised. And they probably not only felt it as pressure from those Jewish Christians, but they also felt it as probably just a, a valid thing to do before God in order to earn his favor. This is what Paul is talking about when he says those who were not circumcised 
seeking the mark, about those who uh, were circumcised seeking to, I'm sorry. He's speaking of Gentile Christians who have been convinced that circumcision is an important part of their salvation before God or an important status before men. He's saying it doesn't matter. But then Paul also says, let those who were circumcised at the time of their calling, at the time of their salvation, not to seek to remove the marks of circumcision. And what that probably means is that there were Jewish Christians who were seeking a social status by removing or reversing the marks of circumcision. We don't know exactly what that means, but apparently there were people who were trying to hide their Jewish heritage, likely trying to increase their social standing in the world around them. So, so both of these things, those who were already circumcised when they became a Christian and those who were not already circumcised when they became a Christian, by wanting to change this about themselves, both of them, Paul says, are wanting things that are entirely unnecessary. Things that were for outward appearance alone. Things that were motivated by social standing before men, not before God. But look at what he says in verse 19. He says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. This outward appearance of religiosity, friends, it is of no importance before our God. And friends, even though that might not seem to have any application to your life here this morning, what Paul is saying here is actually very important and has a lot of application in our lives. He is highlighting the tendency of our hearts to value that which appears particularly religious or unreligious. And we can do that in our lives, can't we? We can value outward practices rather than inward realities even within the church. We can give social standing to certain people in the church who look and act a certain way. So so when Paul talks about those who want to remove the marks of circumcision, I immediately think of those who grew up in the church and who now have a distaste for some of the empty religiosity of their upbringing. I think of those who are deconstructing their faith so much in our day, throwing out all of their Christian history. People are so often concerned about not being Christians like their parents were that they spend all of their energy trying to remove the marks of their past. But Paul is saying, don't be overly concerned about removing all of that. Sure, all of that was not necessary, not all of that was good, but don't spend all of your energy being concerned about those things. He says your job, your role, your privilege is to focus on the gospel, to focus on Jesus, to remain with God and to keep his commandments. That should be the focus of your life and it will lead to greater fruit. And then... When Paul talks about those who are seeking circumcision, I think about how within the local church we can often create a very particular idea of what it means to be a mature or godly Christian. 
We can put external expectations on what new Christians should seek to become. This is how Christians dress. This is how they talk. This is how they appear. We want everyone to dress and talk and think in a particularly churchy way. But Paul says, let them not seek circumcision. In other words, don't seek empty religious forms. In other words, if you are a new Christian, and I praise God for the new Christians in this room who have come to faith in Jesus Christ over the last few years, if you are a new Christian, Your goal in life is not to act and talk and dress like every other Christian in this room. Sure, there might be godly patterns in their lives for you to follow. Please do that. But fitting into a church culture is not the goal. No, Paul says that all of that doesn't matter. He says to you as well as a new Christian, remain with God. Celebrate the gospel of grace. Enjoy Jesus and obey his commands. In other words... Church, we don't need to fit into a certain mold to be faithful Christians before God. We're called to love God and to love those around us regardless of what season of life we are in or what status we may or may not have or what status we think they may or may not have. So Paul talks first about the the social standing of religiosity and then he moves to what is perhaps an even more difficult topic to discuss and that is of being a bondservant or in some translation, that of being a slave. Look at what it says in verse 21. He says, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. I think that these two verses might capture Paul's point in chapter 7 more than anything else that he says here. He, He is taking an extremely difficult situation, that of being a bondservant or a slave, and he is saying, even in that condition, you can remain with, find peace with, and glorify God. Now, a few things need to be said about slavery in the first century. First of all, it was bad. We oftentimes try to relativize it as being different than the understandings of slavery that we have today, but there's, there's no positive way to look at slavery. God's word never affirms slavery, even though slavery in the first century was in many different ways different than what we think of here in America, primarily in that it was not racially motivated most times. Even though there are differences, it's still very bad. There's no really good way to look at slavery, even if you you call it being a bondservant or an indentured servant. Being owned by another human being is a terrible thing. It's not something that any of us want. It's something that we all want to avoid. And so it's appropriate that Paul says in verse 21, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Now there's some question among commentators as to whether Paul is saying Avail yourself of the opportunity to to go and be free, or whether he's saying, avail yourself of the opportunity to glorify God by being faithful to him, even as you deny the opportunity to go and be free. I don't think it is that. I think that Paul is legitimately saying, it's the direct reading of the text, if you can be free, if you have that opportunity, go and be free. But if you're unable to be free, for whatever circumstance, 
Christian, know that even in that place, the gospel determines your status in life and that you can live a full and meaningful life for the glory of God. Why? Because you were bought with a price. Because you are not your own. You are not owned by earthly masters, but by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I think that there are some really significant applications for us here as well. Not many of us would say that we are literal bondservants today. Not many of us are subject to real slavery, but many of us would say that we are in really, really hard situations. Whether that is because we are working in a very hostile environment, whether that is because our bosses treat us like slaves, whether that is because we are subject to other people's positions of power and dominance, whether it's because we are in bondage in some other way or difficulty, any other trial, right? The bondage of sickness, the bondage of relational brokenness, the bondage of joblessness, the the grief of many kinds in our lives. Slavery is one of the hardest trials to endure, and so we can fit many other kinds of trials into this category and benefit from what Paul is saying to us here. Look, Look at what he's saying. He's saying you don't need to be preoccupied with getting out of the difficult situation. Sure, if if the opportunity comes, pursue that and be free from it. But if you remain in that place for whatever situation for a long time, if that trial in your life continues, not just for a week or a month, but for even years on end, Christian, you don't need to despair. Why? Because look at verse 22. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. If you are a Christian who is enduring a hard trial, if you are a Christian who feels enslaved by your circumstances, you don't need to despair today. Why? Because you are a free man or a free woman in the Lord. And that idea of freedom is absolutely central to this entire chapter. In whatever condition you are in today, whatever your social status may be, the gospel of Jesus Christ has given you freedom in Christ. And freedom here means that we are not enslaved to any worldly status. Listen, though our physical circumstances may remain unchanged or unaltered, we are still free because of the hope that we have in Jesus. Because of the work of the gospel of grace, we are not enslaved to anything in this life. Even if even if the chains of our circumstances remain heavy upon us, we have hope in God. He lifts our eyes above the bondage of this world and he reminds us of who we are in him. He reminds us of the eternity that awaits us with him. He reminds us of our calling, the fact that we are owned by God, not by man. He bought you. Your trials do not determine your status. Belonging to Jesus determines your status today. And so maybe going into work tomorrow is going to feel like a living hell experience for you because of what you have to endure. But guess what? You can go into your workplace as a free man or a free woman in the Lord. You can go into it and you can be patient with those who oppress you because you know who you are in him. Maybe you feel bondage in your poor health or to your financial situation, or to your loss of a home, or to the mistreatment of certain family, of certain family members towards you. Christian, you can endure 
all of it because you are free in the Lord and you are secure in him. Now Paul's not saying that we endlessly submit ourselves to abuse and mistreatment. There is nothing particularly godly about enduring an abusive spouse or a boss. If there are opportunities to seek appropriate change, Paul says avail yourself of that opportunity. But friend, however long you are there, however long you are in that place of pain and sorrow, Paul wants you to know that that place does not determine your status in life. Your freedom in Christ determines your status in life. The gospel determines your status in life. And the gospel calls us to live a certain way with our lives. God's gospel lays claim upon us. And that brings us to our third and to our final point this morning. Point number three, a gospel command. Paul wants us to know we are free free from fighting for status, free from the comparison game between our friends, free from trying to one-up each other throughout all of life, free from constantly trying to change our position in life. We're free from all of that status games. While being a Christian does not mean that God always intends to change the season of life that you are in, here's what it does mean. It means that he intends to transform your hearts and your ambitions while you are in whatever season that is. He intends your freedom in Christ to transform not all your circumstances necessarily, but how you live in those circumstances. Look at verse 17 again. He says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. He calls us to to lead ourselves, to lead our lives in a certain kind of way. And that speaks of having ambition for how we live wherever we are in life. In verse 19, he says that our circumcision is of no value, but what is of value is keeping the commandments of God. Up in chapter 6, immediately before chapter 7, he uses the same language of being bought by God, and he uses it to bring direction to your life. He says, you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. All of this has to do with living a certain way as Christians. Our freedom in Christ should be a great comfort to us this morning, but it should also lead us towards joyful obedience and a hopeful purpose before the Lord. Verse 18 says that we are bondservants or slaves, not of men, but of Christ, free from the world, but slaves of Jesus. This is the whole point of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Social standings do not matter. Being a Jew or Gentile does not matter. Slave or free does not matter. Married or celibate does not matter. Those things are nothing. They have nothing to do with our standing before God. The only thing that truly matters is keeping the commands of God. In other words, the only thing that matters is that we live out our faith before God wherever we are in life. To love God above all things. To love our neighbors as ourselves. To Submit our entire lives to the word of God. Paul is, Paul is orienting our ambition away from social standing and towards living a life of obedience and joyful praise before God. And so friends, consider this whole chapter with me now. Is this season of marriage for you particularly hard? Are you grieving the loss of your spouse? Are you going through the pain of divorce? 
Are you struggling with your singleness? Are you struggling with your religious upbringing? Or are you struggling with your non-religious upbringing? Are you comparing yourselves to those around you? Are you in trial? Are you in some form of bondage to others or to a painful situation? Paul wants to take all of us, every one of us in this room, and he wants to remind us that we have been called by God. Our obedience and keeping his commandments, as it says in this text, that's not the starting point. Being called by God is the starting point. Being purchased back from sin and death is the starting point. That's the gospel. It had nothing to do with our obedience. But once we have been called, once we have been bought, we have a glorious purpose before us to joyfully obey him and to praise him with our lives. And so Christian, may we spend our greatest energy not trying to figure out how to change our social standing in life. No, may we spend our greatest energy sitting in the good news of the gospel, remaining with God, as Paul says, and by considering how to live for him and for him alone. May God make us a joyfully obedient people, free from the social standings of this world and joyfully enslaved to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May he make us a contented people. May he make us a people of endurance in every circumstance. May he cause us, brothers and sisters, to glorify God in every area of our lives. Let's pray.